Rahab Byron Tyler. It's Easter time. Tomorrow is Good Friday. All around the world, Good Friday is remembered as the day when God paid for the sins of the world. That's for you and for me. By the death of His Son Jesus, who hung on a tree at Golgotha outside the gates of Jerusalem. That's where our sin burden was forgiven, paid in full, and lifted. Recently, I discovered a message by Dr. Billy Graham. This message was part of a crusade led by Dr. Graham in 1958 in Charlotte, North Carolina. Dr. Graham very clearly talks about the suffering of Christ and how he loved us so much that he willingly laid down his life as a sacrifice in our place. Let's listen now to Dr. Graham. Now, Matthew, the 26th chapter, beginning at the 36th verse. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. I want you to see this picture tonight because the last 24 hours in the life of Christ was the darkest period in the history of the entire world. And here we find an incident in the last hours of the life of Christ that I want us to think about tonight and see what practical application we have in our own lives and the world in which we live. Many people write to me and they say, we don't understand the gospel. We don't understand what you mean by receiving Christ or being born again. But I think more people write to me and say this. They don't understand why Christ had to die on the cross in order for us to be saved. They do not understand the dark hours of Gethsemane. They do not understand why Christ voluntarily laid down his life. They do not understand why he endured the shame of the cross. They do not understand all the phrases in the Bible that talk about the blood. Many times in the scriptures you find the phrase, the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ cleanseth us from all sin. And people revolt against that. They don't like that. And they wonder why that's in the Bible and why so much stress is placed upon the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, tonight I want us to see these last 24 hours in the life of Christ were the darkest in history, and yet it was the darkness just before the dawn. And I believe that history repeats itself. And when the world comes to that moment of despair, that moment when it's about to blow itself apart, that moment when it seems there is no solution, at that moment the sun will rise. The kingdom of God shall come because we have the promise in the scripture that Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, is coming back to this earth again. He is going to set up His kingdom. And then shall the prayer be answered that He prayed in the Lord's prayer, Thy kingdom come. His kingdom shall rule. But before the triumph, before the crown, before the kingdom, 
before the victory. There had to come the suffering. There had to come the cross. And before you can share in Christ's victory, before you can have a new life here and now, before you can go to heaven, before you can claim the promise that we shall someday reign with Christ, you too must come to that same cross. You too must endure the humility of repentance of sin. You too must come in simple faith and stand at the foot of that cross and receive the Savior who was willing to go to the cross. I want you to see on this night before he died, he has had the last supper with his disciples in the upper room. And they've gone now to the Mount of Olives at the foot of the mount. And now they're in a garden that is called Gethsemane. And Jesus leaves eight of his disciples on the outskirts of the garden. And he takes three with him, Peter, James, and John. And he goes a little further into the garden and he tells these three disciples to watch and pray. And then he goes about a stone's throw further along and falls prostrate on the ground and begins the agonizing prayer. And before he was finished, the Bible says, he was sweating drops of blood. What agony! What a prayer! Christ must have prayed that night. And if Jesus Christ had to pray all night, what about us in 1958 with our race problem, with our problem of communism, with the problem of crime that is getting worse with every passing day, with all the social problems that we face in the world and the personal problems and the problem of sin? We Americans are not praying. We're not calling upon God. We give lip service to God, but our hearts are far from him. Why, when the President of the United States gave a proclamation for a day of prayer the other day, you didn't read much about it. Very few churches observed it. Very few people spent any time in prayer. On the day of prayer, when the President said, we need to call on God, the people didn't call on God. We couldn't call ourselves a Christian nation tonight. There are Christians living in America and Christian influences have been felt in this country, but we today are a heathen, pagan country. We're away from God. We have plenty of religion. We have beautiful churches, but our hearts are far from God. We are not spending time in prayer. The blackest hour in history since the last 24 hours of the life of Christ we are living in today. Living on the very brink of hell itself living on the brink of annihilation, and we're not praying. We're not calling upon God. And Jesus prayed and agonized until sweat blood drops came out from his perspiration. And that night, Jesus prayed a mysterious prayer, an unusual prayer, a strange prayer. He said, O oh God, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. What did he mean by that prayer? Let this cup pass from me. A cup of medicine is offered to a child. And he shrinks back. Then at the bidding of his father, he takes it. That night, a bitter cup was offered to Jesus. And he shrank from it. Why? I want you to see it tonight. All 
always the cross had been before Christ since the day he was at his baptism. At the temptation, the marriage of Cana, when he said, my hour has not come, when the crowd wanted to, to make him a king, at the Mount of Transfiguration, when he talked to Elijah and Moses, he knew that he must die. He had taught his disciples that he must go to the cross. He had read in the Old Testament scriptures about the suffering that the Messiah must endure. The shadow of the cross was before him all the time. He knew that he had to go to the cross to pay for our sins if we were to be saved. But here was the final hour, and the cup of suffering was bitter. And in order for us to understand the chemical formula of the mixture of the cup that night, I want us to look into it deeply for a moment. I want us to see it and analyze it. And I want us to see how much Christ endured that we might be forgiven of sin, that we might go to heaven, that we might have some hope of the solution of our problems. First, the first element in that cup was physical pain. Physical pain! Oh, men have died terrible deaths before. Men have been thrown into boiling water. Men have been burned at the stake. Other men have died and suffered physical pain, but the death of the cross was something even worse than any of that. The death of the cross is said to be the worst possible torture that a man can endure because first they would strip a man to the waist. Then they would tie his hands together and bend him over and take long leather thongs with lead pellets or steel pellets embedded in the leather thongs and they would beat him across the back until his back was in ribbons. And many times the lash of those thongs would come around his face and take his eyes out by the socket, even tear his teeth out. And often death followed just the scourging and the flogging that were given by great muscular men. Jesus endured that kind of flogging for you and for me. Then they took a crown of thorns, sharp thorns, and placed on his brow. And his face bled as they jerked his beard off. Then they spat in his face until he was covered from head to foot with the spittle of the people. Hatred, prejudice, intolerance, vehemence, the human heart against Christ. Christ wasn't killed by Rome or Israel. The Bible tells us that Christ was crucified by you and me. My sins and your sins crucified Christ. We had a part in it. All the hatred of mankind. We've seen in the past few days what hatred can do. We've seen some men with sticks of dynamite blowing up synagogues just to express their hate. May God have mercy upon them. The human heart is expressed in that cross. Almost saddest as they flogged him, as they beat him, as they spit on him, as they put a crown of thorns on him, and then they gave him a 250-pound cross to carry. And he stumbles along the road with that cross until Simon of Cyrene had to come and help him carry the cross. And I'm certain today in heaven, Simon is thrilled and proud of the fact that he helped Jesus carry the cross. Have you helped Jesus carry the cross? Or were you one of the ones putting the nails in his hands? But you say, Billy, I would never put a nail in Jesus' hand. I would never pick up a flog and flog him, wouldn't you? You did it today. The sin that you committed today helped crucify Christ. 
because those people were our representatives. We were expressing ourselves in them. You and I helped crucify Jesus. He was dying for our sins. Then they took him to Golgotha's Mount and they put spikes in his hands. They tore his hands and his feet. He never uttered a sound. The pain, the thirst, his tongue was swollen double. And he hung hour upon hour on that terrible cross. And then at the end, many times when a person was dying on a cross, the ravenous birds, the vultures, would come with their iron-like beaks and pick at him while he was still alive. That was the cross. And that night, the night before he died, Jesus was on his knees before God and saying, Oh God, if it's possible to save Billy Graham, if it's possible to save Jim Jones, if it's possible to save men and women some other way without me having to endure that pain, oh God, find it. But there was another suffering. There was the suffering which was the loneliness that he suffered because Jesus went to the cross alone. No one else could go with him. He was the Son of God. He was the only one in the universe that could bear all of our sins because the Lamb, he was the Paschal Lamb that Passover season and the Lamb had to be without blemish and he was the Paschal Lamb being slain from the foundation of the world for us. He alone had in his body and in his soul the capacity to bear our sins because you see, We'd sinned against God, we'd rebelled against God, and we deserved death, and we deserved judgment, and we deserved hell. But Jesus said, I'll take the judgment, I'll take the hell, and I'll take the suffering. And he went to that cross alone, because only he could suffer. Only he could be offered as a sacrifice that would be pleasing to God and would reconcile God and man together. So he endured it alone. Judas was betraying him for 30 pieces of silver, about $21. You have betrayed him today. The lie you told betrayed Jesus. The lustful thought that you had, the immoral deed that you did, the cheating that you did in business, all of that betrayed Jesus. How many times we've betrayed him we were a part of that betrayal and we're just as guilty as Judas. And we will go to the same place as Judas went unless we repent of our sin and come to Jesus Christ and ask him to forgive us. Jesus died alone. The disciples forsook him and Peter denied him. And there he is alone hanging on the cross for our sins. And on the cross there is written in gigantic letters in neon fire, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There is the love of God. And if you have any doubt concerning the love of God, look at the cross. It was there that he died for us. In that cross I find my complete redemption. Christ bowed his head and said, It's finished. I can't add anything to it. I can't take anything away. It's there in the cross. And if I'm ever to get to heaven, I'll have to come to the cross. If I'm ever to have sins forgiven, I'll have to come to the cross. And I want to ask you tonight, have you been to the cross? Are you sure that you've had this encounter with God at the cross? You may be a member of the church. You may live a moral life. You may be a decent person. I don't know who you are or what you are. 
It doesn't make any difference what race you come from, what your nationality background is, what state you live in, how rich or how poor, how educated or uneducated, you have to come to the cross. You say, but Billy, that's foolish. Do you mean to say I can't be accepted by God unless I come to the cross? That's right. And the Bible says the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish. God said you'd say it's foolish. You may be a PhD in the university, but if you're ever to have peace of soul with God, you'll have to come like a little child to the foot of the cross. You won't understand it intellectually. You never will. You'll never understand the atonement all the way. You'll never be able to make it all out. But you come in simple, childlike faith and give your life to Christ. You may be the biggest businessman in North Carolina. You may be a society leader. You may be a union official. You may be a laboring man. Whoever you are, whatever you are, you'll have to come through the same gate into the kingdom. And Jesus said it's a narrow gate, and the gate is the cross. And if you are not sure that you've been there renouncing your sin and receiving Christ, you come tonight. Because I do not see how any person could resist the love of God. Many people ask me, what is the unpardonable sin? I'll tell you the sin that God cannot pardon. Any man or woman that rejects or resists his son, Jesus Christ, who died, that's the unpardonable sin. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. There is no other way. And I tell you, my beloved friends of this great nation, there is only one way of forgiveness and redemption and salvation, and that's in the cross. And I'm asking you to come to the cross tonight. I
you glad that love is able to lift us like Jesus has? Well, my friend Gary Shansky, who has departed from this life and was formerly the teacher at Brit Hadashah, Messianic Jewish congregation in town, we sat down together back in 2006 to discuss the significance of Passover. Gary, why should the Christian faith look at in detail and how it applies things like the Passover? The Passover is so absolutely rich messianically, Byron. I mean, when you look at the story, which we'll talk about briefly, God setting his people free from oppression through the blood of innocent lambs and then bringing his people out of bondage and leading them toward the promised land. Then you look at the fact of who Jesus is as the Lamb of God in the New Testament, and you realize that he is the one through him and his death and his burial and resurrection as the Lamb of God, and he was referred to that in the Lamb, as the Lamb of God many times in the New Testament. He is the one who's brought us out from the bondages of our sin, in a sense, our Egypt, through his cl- cross, through his shed blood, through his resurrection, and therefore, as a result of that, he is taking us on the way to our promised land, which is, in fact, heaven or eternal life, but also in addition to that, Jesus, when he walked on the earth, walked as a Jew and certainly kept Passover. And in fact, his last supper, as it's referred to, was in fact a Passover meal. And much of that also points to Jesus himself. The Jewish people, when they have Passover, part of their celebration, 
that they're still looking for the Messiah to come? Absolutely. In fact, they set a chair at the Passover Seder, which is a chair for Elijah, waiting, not only a chair, but a plate, waiting for Elijah the prophet to come. Because it says in Malachi chapter 4 that prior to the Messiah coming in the end of days, Elijah the prophet will come. So they set a a plate, like I said, a, a, a place setting for Elijah when he comes. And we will do the same thing at our Passover Seder. But of course, we see Elijah actually being the one in John when Jesus himself said that aspect that, you know, John was Elijah, not literally Elijah, but he had come in the spirit of Elijah. He was the forerunner of the Messiah. You have placed your faith in the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus Christ, your Savior. Why is it so important for you to continue the tradition of Passover? Well, Byron, it's it's deeper than just the tradition it is to me still an appointed time and as a jew being raised as a jew therefore when i come to believe in jesus or as you said yeshua i have not forsaken who i am as a jew my messiah was the jew of all jews therefore to me he walked as the most observant jew on the face of the earth and kept torah perfectly he in fact was the living word of god as we know and therefore as a jew i would not want to assimilate and quit being who i am it's the way he made me i'm not saying i'm better than anybody else i'm simply saying it's the way he made me i believe those covenants still apply in my life, yet my salvation rests in him. Surely I'm going to keep Passover the rest of my life, my children as well. I think any Jew who believes in Yeshua, in Jesus, should not ever quit being Jewish, but should continue to maintain his words, his truth, and certainly keep these appointed times. I don't find anywhere where God has done away with them. I know some people teach that, but clearly in the book of Acts, any Jew that came to believe in Yeshua as their Messiah, you'll see it says they were zealous for the law. They never saw themselves as converting to something else. They saw themselves in the realm that our Messiah had come to us in Israel and they believed in him. And I feel the same way. Thank you for joining me at this time of sharing the greatest event in history. He's alive. I'm Byron Tyler. Tyler. 